Well, you all probably know our mission, right? Telling and showing the story of Jesus. In fact, we like to say it this way, Fox Valley Church is at her best when we're telling and showing the story of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we're beginning a whole new series because we want to bring Fox Valley Church on mission. In fact, not only will the series launch us, but we're also going to do an eight-week initiative called Fox Valley Church on Mission. Eight weeks. So starting this week and going through June and July, we're going to help mobilize Fox Valley Church to live on mission and equip you to be better servants of the gospel ministry God has called us to at Fox Valley Church. So as we think about it, This series, Fox Valley Church on Mission, eight weeks. You're going to see a lot of things over the next eight weeks. I don't want to say all of them this morning. We're going to begin rolling it out. The message this morning will include some texting because this produces a lot of questions. Sometimes people have fear. So if you want to pull out your cell phone now, make sure it's on silent. You're going to see the phone number on many screens so that you can text questions in And then Pastor Brad and I will be answering them at the end of the message. The series, Why Care, will go three weeks. We're beginning it today because God wants us to be thinking about this. And we'll dive in with all of that this morning. So if you have your Bible, if you'd open with me to Psalm chapter 4. Psalm chapter 4, or we call it Psalm 4. As you're turning there or getting on your device, let me just say... This series is as much about the heart as it is about the mind. In other words, it's going to start that we even have a heart that beats after God's heart. So when we ask the question, why care? It's really talking about us at our hearts. Now some of us may need some reasons. We may need to talk about, hey, I don't know what to say. That's applying to the mind but it always starts with where is our heart. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand? I'm going to read the first five verses of Psalm chapter 4, or Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call to you, my righteous God. Give me relief from my distress. Sons of men, how long will you turn my glory into shame? How long will you love delusions and seek false gods? Know that the Lord has set apart the godly one for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. When you are on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Offer the sacrifices of the righteous and trust in the Lord. Father, in this song, you exposed your heart. In this song, you have taken some license in poetry to drive us to think deeply and to ponder the truth of your word that captures your heart for people. Would you take this morning, by the power of your spirit, this word and drive it deep into our souls? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. So this morning, as we think about these things, 
recognize that we just read a psalm. Now, some of you have a, a, the, the psalms, and at the very top, before you even get into verse 1, it'll say something like a psalm of David, right? And so what we begin to think right away is that this psalm was written by David, period. And that's true. David did write it. But what we sometimes forget is that there is a divine author that is moving the human author to write what we're reading. And sometimes, because of the day we live in, we live in such a day of scientific study and modernism, we think that interpreting it requires us only to think about the historical context and the person writing it, David. But what we need to remember is in 2 Peter chapter 1, it says, know this first of all, that no prophecy, in other words, the word of God, the Old Testament, no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will. Isn't that amazing to think about? But people moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. Now, why is this so important this morning? Because I don't only want you to hear what David is saying, but I want you to hear what God is saying through David. And so as we study that, I'm going to remind you a little bit of this as we look at the Word. Now, the first thing I'd like to bring out this morning is that God cares for us while we are in a world of troubles, right? God cares for us, right? That's the first thing you begin to see in verse 1. David, moved by the Holy Spirit, right? He, he's saying something, and he's constantly bringing out this, this call to God. He, he calling out to God, and you say, well, why? Well, because he's in trouble. He's experiencing some issues in his life. Now, what's so good about Psalm 4 is we really don't know what those issues are. He never really gives us enough information to say, oh, he's dealing with an illness, or he's dealing with enemies, or he's dealing with whatever situation you want to fill in. You can begin to surmise some things, and historically there's some things that people looked at but what you need to now do is ask the question, why did he call out to God in trouble? And the obvious answer is, because God cares. God cares, right? So he says, right, right at the get-go, he says, answer me. Right? He, he's calling out to God. God, I, I need you to step in here. He, he, says, he says, not only answer me, he says, give me relief. He says, have mercy on me. Listen or hear my prayer. Well, he's saying these things because he knows there's a God in heaven that cares about what's going on in his life. And the first thing you and I need to know is that God cares about what's going on in your life. There's a God in heaven that cares. And what we're going to see as we go through this psalm, God not only cares in an intimate way about your life, He cares about your neighbor's life. He cares about your children's life. He cares about your parents' life. People that are far from God, we're going to begin to see more and more His heart for people 
Now, this verse verse, he says, my righteous God. Now, what does he mean, my righteous God? Very interesting phrase, right? Some of you may just have my God of righteousness. There's different translations here. When he says, my righteous God, when he uses that word righteous, it's, it's the word for justice. It's the word for making things right in this world. That things are messed up. There's unfairness. There's injustice. There's brokenness. And that word righteousness is this God can begin to bring order out of the chaos. And that's what we need to know. We need to know that our God, this one that's, let's even narrow it a little bit more, God, Elohim, Mighty One, this God has all power to take the most messed up life and bring it into order. He can take the worst chaos and bring it together in the right way. So we need to be thinking about these kinds of things that this is who David is crying out to, but David is moved by the Spirit, so this is the Spirit. Now, if I can warp your mind a little bit, it's always good to do this, is our Savior, Jesus Christ, prayed through the Psalms. Now just think about God praying to God. Now, we know he does that because in Romans chapter 8, it says that Jesus is praying for you. It says that the Holy Spirit is praying for you. So Jesus is reading this and praying this, answer me, Father. I'm here for a purpose. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to begin to see even more clearly what Jesus was doing and why we need to follow what Jesus is doing. Now, As we think about Elohim, this mighty one, we're set up in a new direction in verse 2. Now the translation, and I left it literally in the Hebrew, because in the Hebrew, when I was reading it through, it says, sons of men. Now I'm going to get to verse 2 in a moment, but as soon as you and I hear the word sons, what do you think of? You think of a father. You don't have a son if you don't have a father. And so even though the idea of fatherhood is not a dominant theme in the Old Testament, it sometimes raises its head. And I think in this passage, it would be fair because of the phrase sons of men to begin thinking that David is like us calling out to our heavenly father. So not only is he the mighty one, He's our father. And as soon as you begin thinking about a father, you get all other kinds of images that are a little different than just God or the mighty one. Now, some of you might have heard, because I've heard this, some Christians will say, well, it's hard to have an accurate picture of God the father if you've had a poor example in a human father. I don't think that's true. I think that... Any one of us, if we have a father that was good and kind and served the family and helped the family and led the family, etc., etc., we can say, oh yeah, I understand a little better 
how God the Father is. But if you had a father that was mean, maybe he abandoned the home and there's a lot of negative stuff. God even takes that negative stuff and says, you know what? I'm not like that kind of dad. So regardless of what kind of father you have, it forces all of us to think about our heavenly father who is good, who is kind, who cares. And so when we read this and he says, answer me, He's saying, Father, Father, I need you right now. I need you to answer me. I got some questions on my heart. I got some problems that are going on in my life. I need you to give me relief. Now, in the Hebrew, it says this, and I prefer it in the Hebrew, but I left it in the English because most of us have the English translation, give me relief from my distress, right? So, so this phrase right here, give me relief from my stress, what it literally reads in the Hebrew is, in my constraint, in my constraint, give me space. Now, you know how poetry works, right? Poetry uses imagery and it uses words. And so sometimes these words give us pictures. And what David, when he wrote this psalm, he's saying, in my constraint. And when I read that in Hebrew, it immediately made me think of Romans chapter 12 that we were just in a couple weeks ago. Remember what Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. Do not be squeezed into the mold of this world. World, And here David is saying the same thing. As the world constrains me, as the world kind of squeezes me into the mold, give me space. Open up to me a vision, God, of what you're doing. Poetry does that to us. It makes our hearts soar. It makes our hearts sing. Because what God wants to do is recognize that while the world is forcing us and pressing us into a mold, God has a bigger, greater, grander vision than this world. Now, so you don't get lost in what I'm talking about. This month, as we hear it's called Pride Month, right? The world is trying to squeeze us into the world's way of thinking. But God says, wait, wait a minute. I made you. I designed sex. I thought about all this stuff. I created it. I made marriage what I wanted it to be. And so it's a pushing away from what the world is trying to constrain us and opening up to us a vision of flourishing. Now, we're not going to be looking at verse 8 this morning in the psalm, but verse 8 begins with the word shalom, or this idea of well-being or flourishing, is that God wants us to flourish. And so David, through the Spirit, and now you are able to cry out, Father, answer me, give me space in this world that is seeking to crush me, this world that blasts me with a message that the only thing that matters is money. The only thing that matters is recognition. The only thing that people really care about is being known and having an impact in the world as the world says. And David is saying, no, I need you to open up for me a world of flourishing. 
And that's in your soul and it's in mine. You know how I know that? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says this, that God has set eternity in our hearts. God has put it in our hearts that we want more than what this world has to offer. And this world has nothing for you if God is not in it. And that's where we're going to see this go. Now, can I just give you one other little clue about Psalm 4? There's no other psalm that's written like this, where it now turns our attention to the sons of men. So, let me move us to my second point, right? I don't want us to get lost. And that is, the world stands against God. But God still cares. And this is a theme that begins all the way from Genesis 3, when men and women rebelled against God, to this very day, that we can say when standing against God, people have rebelled. Now, when I use this idea of rebellion, some people shake their fist at God. They curse God, they cuss God, they blame God. <clears throat> but all rebellion doesn't look the same. If you put it on a spectrum, yes, there are people, and I know some. But a lot of times this rebellion is just a little gentle indifference to God. And you know how it really looks today? And you could write this word down. Apathy. Apathy. Even more and more Christians have become apathetic. And that does not please God. So now what we need to do is go a little deeper into verse 2. Notice at verse 2, some of you might have a translation that reads people or humankind or humans just generally. I left it as it's written in the Hebrew, sons of men. Now it means people. It means humans. But because he used the phrase by the Spirit to talk about sons, that presses me to think about father. And what he's talking about now are all these people. What's unique about verses 2, 3, 4, and 5 is they're addressed to sons of men. Isn't that interesting? That here we are reading a psalm and God's heart spills out through David to talk about what God wants to say to your neighbors and my neighbors my friends and your friends that are far from God. So let's look a little closer at what is going on in verse 2. Sons of men, people, people, listen up, people all over the world that are far from God. How long, how long will you turn my glory into shame? Now why did I get so caught on saying that this is a word from God and not just David. Because when we get to the word like my, we begin to think, well, he's just talking about David because David's the author. But do you see the difference? Is that if it's God speaking, we could easily capitalize that M and make it a capital M. How long, sons of men, Will you turn my glory, God's glory, into shame? How long are you going to mock what I have created? How long are you going to scorn 
all that I have made. So you look out on creation. And what have the sons of men done? What have they said? Well, they're saying this isn't a creation of God where God fashioned the world and made the stars and the universe the way he wanted it and the many, many galaxies, 200 million galaxies. No, we say there was this big bang, right? There was this thing that happened and we don't know all that God did and how exactly God did everything. But what we do know is that God is the artist. God is the creator. God made it so that we can say he is glorious. Then we can start looking at human beings and see the greatness and the majesty of human beings. How unique you are as a woman. How powerful you are as a man. When you start thinking about just simple things about the way we think and as much as what are we hearing in the the news today all about artificial intelligence, chat, GPT, all these different things. They're only mimicking what the mind is doing. We can't create like this. What God is doing is taking these things and showing his greatness and the world tries to grab the glory. And so God is saying to this world, to your friends that are far from him, saying how long, how long will you love delusions? That's powerful. How long will you seek false gods? Because that's exactly what's happening. They are seeking what you are seeking. They're just seeking it in the wrong way. What do I mean? You seek happiness. They seek happiness. They seek joy. You seek joy. They seek peace. You seek peace. But where do they try to get it? From the things of this world. If I have a little more money, if I have a nicer house, if I drove a newer car, if I had better clothes, if my kids were this, and you just go on and make that list. None of those are bad. They just will never ultimately satisfy the soul. The difference is we know that God can make us peaceful. God can give us joy. God can bring true and lasting happiness. So as you think about how long God is speaking to them, or you think of of Psalm 73, verse 7, it says this, the imaginations of their heart run riot. Isn't that a great phrase? The imaginations of the people of this world run riot. Another translation says it this way. The evil conceits of their minds know no limits. Boy, if Pride Month is not a statement of knowing no limits. We just press. Now, why do I get on this? Look at what happened. We are so bent as a country in exporting our views about stuff that we really don't know what we're talking about onto the Japanese. And you probably followed some of that story this week. How we are forcing them, because in Japan, many of them worship Shintoism, which is not really of a god, it's more of a moralism. But in their moralism in Japan, they resist some of the moral craziness in our own country. But our ambassador, our former Chicago mayor, 
is exploiting and trying to force by manipulation and shaming the Japanese people to jump into the things that we're thinking about in terms of the LGBTQ+. And don't think that that's an isolated case. All over countries in Africa, it's a new colonialism that we're trying to do. We're trying to say, we won't give you aid unless you embrace our moral view. And God is saying, how long? How long are you going to do this? Let me just read. Remember, we're in Romans. Let me just take a moment and read Romans 1. It says, For the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of people who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Skipping a little bit. Because that which is known about God is evident within them. They know there's a God because there's set eternity in their hearts. For God made it evident to them. Skipping a little more. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. God is saying, okay, you want it your way? Have it your way. Professing to be wise, they became fools. And our world is moving into a more foolish direction. And you and I, it's going to take more courage than ever before to stand against the winds that are blowing. It's going to take more strength, not human strength, supernatural strength, power of the Holy Spirit to swim against the currents that are now moving in our country, in our world. So God gave them over in the lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And boy, is that true. So look what he says here. He says, this should be carried through. Son of men, son of men, know this. Here's what God wants them to know. Look at this very clearly. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly one for himself. God has put an intimacy between us and him that he's saying, I want the world to know that. I want the world to know you can have a relationship with him. And so he calls these people the godly ones that he has set us apart. That's why you're here this morning. Because you have a unique, special relationship with God. And you want to express worship to him. And you want to hear his voice. You don't want to hear my voice this morning. You want to hear God speaking through the word. Because God cares for you. He says, know this, that the Lord hears when I call to him. God hears when you cry out. And then look at this. It says, tremble, sons of men, tremble. Be in awe of this God and do not sin, do not rebel, do not turn against me. This is God pleading with the world. Don't rebel against my plan. Don't turn away from me. Don't do it. When you are on your beds, this is poetry again. When do you have some of your deepest, most serious thoughts? Are they not on your bed? Are they not times when you're laying alone at night and you're just pondering it? I know there's other times. There's been times I've been in the mountains alone and I, all of a sudden I'm just overwhelmed with the presence of God and I start thinking things like, where's this coming from? Well, it's coming from the Holy Spirit. But I gotta say, many, many times it's in the evening when I'm in bed and I'm praying for you. 
I'm praying for other people in our body because that's when I'm like, God, when are you going to do something for so-and-so? When are you going to wake this situation up? When are you going to change it, right? When you're on your bed, search your hearts and be silent so that God is speaking to the world and saying, search your hearts. You've got to know that I have put eternity in your hearts. You've got to know that I'm at work. And so on and on it goes. Let me jump to this. Because God then calls the people to repent. Verse 5, sons of men, offer the sacrifices of righteousness. Well, you and I know, when this was penned 3,000 years ago, Jesus Christ had not yet died on the cross. What we would say today is offer the only sacrifice that's available to be right with God. It's the person of Jesus Christ. See how this works? This could not happen if it was just penned by a human author. There's no way David could have seen a thousand years ahead with this kind of clarity if the Spirit didn't move him. And the Spirit moved him to say, offer the sacrifice. Jesus Christ says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father but through me. Do you believe that? Or do you just give lip service to it? Do you embrace that? Or do you think there's lots of ways? Because Jesus didn't leave that option open. And so he's saying, offer the only sacrifice that will work. Then look what he says. He says, trust in Yahweh. Trust in God who reveals himself as his personal God. And you remember where that was. Exodus chapter 3, Moses is supposed to go to the Pharaoh. And Moses says, well, who do I say sending me? And God says, I am. Right? That's what Yahweh stands for. He's saying, I'm the God that exists. I'm the only one that exists. It stands over the whole universe. And what God is calling people to do is repent. So, when we look or answer the question, why care? We care about our neighbors and our friends and our children and our grandchildren and our parents and all these people that are far from God. We care because God cares. Now, this is part of the scriptures all the way. How do I know this? Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You know what that means? God created everything. Then he says he made you and me in the image of God. No other creature is made in the image of God. We are uniquely made to connect to God. Uniquely made. You are special. God wants you to know that. Know that. So then you get to Genesis 3, right? You got Adam and Eve, and they rebel against God. And what happens when they rebel? They hide. They turn away from God. And what does God do? The thing that you read in Genesis 3, God says, well, where are you? Don't think that God had amnesia. He knew exactly where they were. It's a statement of care. Where are you? We need to connect again. That's what he's doing. You read Genesis chapter 11, right? People are getting haughty. The sons of men are building a tower. We call it the Tower of Babel. And you know what they said? Let us build a city so that we can do what? Make a name for ourselves, verse 4. And what does verse 5 say? The Lord came down. You know why he came down? Because he cares. 
Genesis chapter 12, what does he do? He goes to Abraham and he says, now I'm, I'm ready to start. And I'm going to build a nation and you're going to be the father of a great nation. Why? Because God cares. So this could go on and on and on through the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation, God cares. Now I got to tell you, we're going to be on the mission and we're going to talk about how do we tell people this good news? I need help doing that. And Emily, this week, I don't know if you read the Friday emails, but it was so powerful. Like, if you don't know how to say something, one of the articles that she put in there was an article about talk to each other about what God's done in your life. If it starts becoming natural for you to talk to people that you feel comfortable with, it'll be way more comfortable for you to talk to people that are less comfortable. Great article. You've got to dive in and read these things. Every week you're going to have more to look at so that we can equip you. But I want to bring you just into my personal life. I remember the first time, well, I'd become a Christian and nobody ever told me. Nobody ever told me Christians don't share their faith. Don't do it. Don't do it. Nobody told me. I became a Christian and you know what I was told right away? Tell people about what God did. Tell people about Jesus. I was told that. I'm like, okay. I never doubted it. So this guy says, well, let me help you. I go. And he says, I'm going to watch how you do it after he taught me. So I go and I tell this guy, I, I said, you know what? Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. I'm shortening the story here a little bit. But I got to the place. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sin. Do you want to trust Jesus and his death on the cross? And the guy says, yes. And you know what I do next? I say, you really don't want to do this. <laughs> I tried to talk him out of it. If I didn't have the guy next to me that was helping me, he says, wait a minute, we're off track here. <laughs> He's saying he wants to trust Christ. And the guy prayed and trusted Jesus Christ right there on the spot. And he's in the kingdom because the spirit moved through me to tell him the story. Because I didn't know that Christians don't share their faith. That's ridiculous. Christians sharing their faith? That's foolish. You know I'm being as sarcastic as I can be, right? Because this is what God wants us to do. Well, let me tell you about, that was the first time I shared my faith. Let me tell you about the last time I shared my faith. This was just a couple days ago. There's got to be a part of your life. This isn't something you just randomly, right? It's got to be a part of your life. So my mom's in the hospital. There's a care worker sitting by her bed. And I start talking to Megan. Hey, Megan, tell me how you got into this work that you're doing. And she starts telling me how she became a care worker and all that. I said, um, are, are you married? And Because uh, I saw a ring on her finger. And she says, no, I'm getting married. Now, anyone that's talking about marriage or weddings, I mean, like, what an open door to talk about spiritual things. Where are you getting married? Who's officiating? Are you having an officiant? And all of a sudden, I'm telling her about Jesus Christ and how to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That is not me. That's the Spirit just saying, God, I'm available. I want to be used by you. So now, as we think about this this morning, I want you to be thinking, am I available? for the Holy Spirit to use me to tell someone about Jesus in the next eight weeks. I know Christians don't do this. I know they're not supposed to do this. But would you be willing to trust God in the next eight weeks to tell someone about Jesus? Amen. One amen out of all that. 
It's okay. We got, we got a couple weeks to move forward. Okay, we've been asking about texting, and uh, we're going to have more things going on, but I'm going to invite Pastor Brad up. Come on, Pastor Brad. He's going to help me with some of the texting this morning, and uh, hopefully some questions came in as we look at this. And one of the reasons uh, I love Pastor Brad and him participating in the texting this morning is because he's a guy that lives on mission. He loves to do it. He's constantly doing it and part of it. So uh, it's exciting. Can we just welcome him up here again? Thanks. Thanks for your ministry. So, so maybe you can bring us in a little bit more about this yeah, stuff. well, maybe before we answer a question or two, just to bring us back into FBC on Mission, I know you've done a great job setting us up. Uh, we have the series Why Care, trying to talk about the heart of God. And on Friday, we sent out an email. And in the email, we had a survey, and we actually texted that link out too. And in the survey, we asked two questions. The first question was, have you shared the gospel with anyone in the last six months? And then the second question was, if not, Why? And I was so encouraged, uh, Tom, I don't even know if you saw this, but 67% of people said they've shared the gospel with someone in the Let's last give it up to Fox Valley Church. Yes. And then of the 33% that said they had not, they had a chance to fill in why. And so this, a, a lot of individual answers came in, but the majority uh, of the two were, I don't have anyone I'm actively reaching with the gospel, and I don't feel equipped or know what to say. And that is exactly what we want to try to address to help equip you in the next eight weeks. And so FBC on Mission is going to be, like I said, eight weeks long. And the Friday email, like Pastor Tom just referred to, that Emily sent out, there's going to be a blog or some type of article, a podcast, and a video, just to try to meet you where you're at. You know, some are shorter, some are a little bit longer, but it gives you the opportunity to, to look at a certain theme. Each one is going to be packaged each Friday into a theme that, that we think is relevant and important to help equip you for mission. And we're going to have a YouTube, uh, on our YouTube channel, we're going to have this uh, three-part uh, training on 3D living, which really addresses developing relationships. It addresses uh, some of these things that you filled in there saying the reasons why you're not sharing the gospel. We want to do that, and then we want to find not just ways to equip you, but ways to do it together. So we're going to have a few opportunities. A couple of them I'm excited about. This is just this Wednesday. We have a mom's group. We've been talking about it for a couple years, but we have so many young families in our church. We're going to have a mom's group that meets at parks throughout the summer and that has the opportunity Mm, to invite uh, women who don't know the hope of Jesus Christ to come and be a part of that and experience spiritual community. We're also going to be doing some prayer walks together, which we did uh, this past March and April through our life group ministry, but we're going to open it up to everybody to not just pray, but actually hopefully share the gospel with other people. So that's just a couple things. We'll keep you posted on more of what's happening, but we're just excited about it. So, If I could just say something too, I want to clarify, we're not talking about just saying the word God Mm. to somebody. (laughs) We're not talking about just even saying the word Jesus. We're talking about presenting the hope that God gives us through Jesus Christ that he died on the cross and paid for our sins. So when I was talking to Megan this week, I didn't just talk about God. I brought her to a place that she needed to understand that Jesus Christ died for her sins. Hmm. She thought she was a good person. Hmm. She thought she could get into heaven. And then, if I could just say this, some of us are familiar with uh, Penn Jillette. He's a comedian. He's an atheist. And he said this, He said, if Christians really believe there's a heaven and hell, Mm. how much do you have to hate people 
not to tell them the hope that is in Jesus Christ. Mm. That's an atheist encouraging mm. us to proselytize because we do believe there's a heaven to an embrace and a hell to shun. You so, know, to, to, to give a story to that just really quick, uh, my wife and I, our first year, at, you know, so seven years ago, we were at this uh, restaurant and it's kind of open. There's like games and stuff you can play, very casual. And we just get in this conversation with somebody. And it's a guy and a girl, and I don't remember if they're dating or what, but they, they must have been. And uh, he goes to the bathroom. And th th they find out I'm a pastor, right? They find out I'm a pastor. He goes to the bathroom, and the, and the girl spills the beans that they're atheists. So he comes back from the bathroom, and he's like, you told them? Like, he wanted to get through the whole conversation without spilling the beans. And we had a great gospel center conversation, and it ended with her saying, man, this really shows that you love people well, that mm. you're trying to tell us about this. Because if wow. it's real, it's then you're doing the most loving thing. So that was a really cool, you know, anyway. Okay, so we have a ton of questions, and I want to throw out there, one of the things that we've decided to do is answer these questions uh, throughout the next couple of months. So a lot of questions came in. We're not going to get to nearly, or most of them, but uh, Leah Beck, who's an intern this summer, and we're going to have her on stage hopefully sometime soon, because she's kind of running point for this whole initiative, and she's going to help work with Emily and communications team to actually answer these questions. So just, just so you're aware, I want you to know that your question uh, will, will get answered. But um, there, there's a lot of good ones that came in, but here's one uh, that, that stuck out to me. Let's see. Where'd you go? These are anonymous, just so everyone knows. We don't know who's actually saying these. Okay, my heart towards evangelism and towards the lost ebbs and flows. I think we can relate to that. Sometimes I'm white hot in my prayer life for my lost friends. Other times, not at all. What does that say about my understanding of God's grace and the gospel, and what should I do about it? So I have a thought. And it's in light of the email that just uh, Emily sent. So as a worship team, we read one of those articles together and had a conversation. And one of them was how to help your heart for the lost if you don't have a heart. And it, it says four points, but one of them I remember, it talks about pray to God that he would actually give you a heart for lost people. It, it just admit it. Bear it before God. Psalm 139, God searched me and known me. He already knows that you don't have a heart for doing it. Or he knows you're in a season where you're feeling off or not really passionate about it. Just confess that to God and ask him to do something about it. And then the other thing it says in there, as point four said, get around other people who are white hot for mission. Hmm. There's something about being around someone who's bold and is willing to share the gospel that it does have this effect on, on your own heart and your own desire to do it. So that's the first thing that comes to my mind from that resource. I, I just want to piggyback on that. that that's really good, but I want us to dive a little deeper. We need to repent. So not only say, God, I have a cold heart, but I need to repent of that. Mm. And then what fuels this is to take a step of faith. To say, oh God, I'm sorry, and I'm not going to do this anymore, but do nothing is not good enough. You, you need to repent and say, God, this is wrong. Christians really do care about people that are far from you. Christians really do know there's an eternity at stake. Mm -hmm. And then, God, because that's what repentance means. It means changing not only your mind, I'm sorry, but changing the course of your life and saying, I'm going to take a step of faith. 
And that pleases God. Now, sometimes we take the step of faith and our heart has not yet changed. God will continue to work in your heart as you take that step of faith. You ever hear the phrase, you can't steer a parked car? If you don't take that step of faith, God can't steer it. And when we take that step of faith, he can begin to steer it. So that's why it's got to be a, a, a way of life. So. Mm, that's good. Uh, what is the next step once a person wants to accept Christ? It's a cool <laughs> when question. They want to. Okay, there's lots of things, and one of the things we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is talk about methods. I don't think there's always one method, but my mistake in my first story was I didn't take time to just say, let's pray right now. Mm. I think that's the best way. Yeah. Sometimes I'll do it this way. I'll say, I'm going to pray, and you just repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for dying on the cross for me. I want you to come into my life and to change me and transform. Right? So I just pray it, and then they repeat after me. Hmm. Sometimes I ask them, would you just pray a prayer? Whatever on your heart, now that you understand that Jesus died for you, would you just pray your own prayer? So I've done it a couple. I don't know. Do you have yeah. other things you've done? Or? Well, I always let people know it's, it's not about magic words. Like God sees the right. heart. That's you know, good. Th That's they think good. they need a pastor or priest to say it a certain way or for us to be able to be the advocate for them. It's like, no, the spirit of God is at work. So just mm. reminding people yeah. that, right? Bill said the ABCs. Bill Reed, when he preached, <laughs> ask, believe, and confess. You know, there's different ways. The Romans roads or scriptures you can bring people into. But it's so cool uh, when that moment happens. It's supernatural. I mean, really, and I love that you said pray. Yeah. I mean, the, something changes in the, in the room, in the atmosphere, in our hearts when we pray and just seeing God come over in a lot of power. And that's the Holy Spirit. You're going to hear me talk about it. It's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts. I can't do it. I don't have magic words. I don't even always know what verses to use. But the Spirit, I'm telling you, if you're available and you just mm. say, God, I don't know what to say, the Spirit will give you something to say. The Spirit That's will true. bring verses to mind. I'm telling you, it's powerful, and this keeps Christians white hot for him, too. Yes. Yeah. I know there's a lot more. We need, we need yeah. to wrap up. Would you yeah. mind, um, yeah. maybe we could close in prayer. If we could invite you all to stand as we close in prayer this morning. Father, God, would you remind us that being able to share the gospel is a joy. It's a privilege. Yes. Father, it's, it's an opportunity that you've given each of us to experience your power. It's an opportunity that you've given us to be involved in your mission. God, you didn't have to include us. You could do this completely without your children, but you choose to use us as tools and instruments to accomplish your will. God, what a privilege. Would we be uh, palms up seeking the opportunities in the very areas that you've already provided for us to live on mission? God, would it start as we leave uh, this worship center today, God, that our lives would demand an explanation by the way that we love one another. Mm -hmm. God, would it start with that? And then would we be obedient to step into the opportunities that you provide and the doors that you open and completely trust you with all the results because it's your spirit that does all the heavy lifting, God. Father, we lift this up. We thank you for all that you're doing in and through Fox Valley Church, God. Would you continue to mold and shape our hearts into Jesus Christ and that would unite us as a church family. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.